And welcome to Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, highlighting the stuff we've stepped in so you don't have to. I'm Son Edom, alongside somebody who has been celebrating her quarantined birthday for the past week. Now, I've often said she's a diva. So how has your week been? Has it been diva-esque? Well, I'm wearing my fur today, yeah, I so I'm I'm a little extra today because I'm still celebrating my diva quarantine birthday. So how is it, how is it yes. having a quarantined birthday versus a non-quarantined birthday? It's actually quite nice. Is it? Well, because there's no expectations. Like, we can't really do anything. True. Right? And so we're here with the family cooking dinner like what's better than that but isn't that how it should be <laughs> non-expectations <laughs> now we have we actually hit now true reality Uh-oh. of what it should be Uh-oh. versus what we want it to be yeah. with the big pomp and circumstance but there's always that that you know part where people are saying oh i don't know the right gift is she gonna like it are they gonna like it you know there's always a little bit of tension around making sure you know that the person is given a good birthday and they're taken care of and the right you know gifts and the right presents I'm not fuss I'm not really a diva like (laughs) I'm not really that fussy I'm pretty easy to police (laughs) but you know there is that so now it's just like okay there's no gifts because there's no stores open and if you order anything online it's like you'll be here in July. You actually went to order something for you, and I said it'll be here in August. It, see, there you go. So I don't want you to think that I didn't get you something. Right. Um, but it's coming. It's on back order. It's on back order until August. See, so there's no expectation. It's it's easier, I think. Which is funny because when I would be at a place, work, and we'd draw names or something like that, mm-hmm. I would always get lottery tickets as mm. the gift because you can't go wrong with lottery tickets mm-hmm. because if they win, and I think one time, a guy actually won, uh, not like millions or anything like that, but probably a significant amount of money mm. because I would always ask them, hey, so you win anything? And I always get no. Mm-hmm. And so the one year I said, hey, you win anything? And he just kind of brushed me off thinking that maybe I want some a, you know, oh, piece part of, of it. The, yeah. Yeah. But no. So I think he won something, but he didn't tell me what. Um, but so yeah, so, so, yeah, you don't want to share. <laughs> Selfish. So, I, um, so that's what I would do is, is that um, – in those type of situations, because they're fun, mm-hmm. you know, and, and whatever happens, happens. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so that's good. You're still celebrating the realistic version of a birthday. I am. Good. I am. I've got lots of birthday wishes. Thank you. Thank you for all the lovely wishes on my Instagram and yeah, Facebook. Keep and them all coming. <laughs> Make you feel good. When she feels good, easy to work with. <laughs> At Tara Hochero. Keep them coming. Makes my job a lot easier. Yes. Yes, it does. Hey, so last week on the show, we were talking about uh, not Lion King, although I recommend Lion King over Tiger King. <laughs> and um, it led to a conversation about people. And the conversation, in fact, is probably easier if you just go back and watch and listen to the last episode. Um, but we talked about these people on the on the zoo farm or whatever it is. On Tiger uh, King. On Tiger King. When mm-hmm. they live there on the grounds, because I guess they lived there for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and for example, the, the campaign manager, if you know what we're talking about, the campaign manager uh, for Joe Exotic, who ran for governor or president, whatever he ran for. Governor. He was there for a year and a half. And he just thought it was crazy, but he never left. Mm-hmm. So he was a guy that could actually leave, mm-hmm. but he never left. And so it got me thinking and brought up the conversation about people and, you know, why can't they just leave? Why can't they better themselves? Why can't they do something to, because you only have one life to live and we should live it to the best that we can. And, and, and as ourselves, like for me, I see a hurdle, I see an obstacle. 
I'm going to go around it, over it, through it, whatever I have to. Mm-hmm. And for you, it was just the opposite. It was, you know, I guess shame was the word that was kind of brought up with, mm-hmm. uh, with you, mm-hmm. which uh, leads me to a question that I will ask you in a minute. But first, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of, as we jump off of last week into this week, because we kind of ran out of time, to kind of get us back into that conversation of what we were doing, because you were kind of wrapping up the conversation as we we're ending the episode. So mm-hmm. you can kind of continue on for us uh, to get the ball, mm-hmm. get the conversation started. <laughs> That's right. So I was mentioning that, you know, we were coming from two different places. Like, I don't understand you that you can just say, you know, not get a contract renewal for your job. And you're like, okay, next. You just have this way of just constantly moving forward. I, on the other hand, have this way of stopping. So I'll, I'll start to be, you know, start a project or start to be, you know, move towards a successful something. And then I will inevitably kind of sabotage that because, because my shame has been so deep. Now it's not on the line of continuum. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be, but there was a time in my life when it was really bad. So, and I would not move forward in the way of not, you know, finish a project or not go after a job or not do something because I just felt like, um, you know, I was just not, you know, good enough or couldn't keep up or wasn't as smart as my peers. I hadn't accomplished as much. And so I would, um, kind of pull back, you know, and not move forward. So that belief system would stop me in my tracks. Now you said the definition of guilt versus the definition of shame. Hit Mm -hmm. us with that again. Mm -hmm. So guilt is something that I've done wrong and I feel bad about it. Shame is a feeling that I am something wrong. Like I'm defective. So you were mentioned that you had shame so Mm -hmm. you're defective Mm -hmm. you're something's wrong with you it's not something you did it's something you feel that you're wrong okay right so you've got this feeling of shame so you're defective you're the you're the problem but yet you were still able to publish a couple books Mm -hmm. you were able to get through school you're able to accomplish Mm -hmm. some things Mm -hmm. so how does that work if you have shame where you're defective you're the problem it's not something you did Mm -hmm. an action like guilt but you you are Mm -hmm. the problem how were you able to accomplish those things, having that shame and having that low self-esteem, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a battle. It was a complete battle. So I got my I got my degree, actually, my bachelor degree in my 30s, I believe, in my late 30s. Um, it took me all of that time. There were some other things, you know, going on in, in life that it just wasn't the right season, but it also took me that long to come around to the fact that I could actually survive in a university. I never thought that I could pull that off. So, and then once I got there, I was amazed. Number one, I was amazed that I was accepted. Um, I had, I came from um, community college, so it was an easy transfer. So then I was amazed that I was even there. Um, and then I was getting A's and B's, you know, in high school, I was getting B's and C's and D's. So I was amazed that I was like, wow, I'm not you know, I can actually study and I am, you know, smart enough to pull this off. So um, then later when I wrote the two books, particularly No Arms, No Legs, No Problem, um, it took seven years. Part of that was that Bob and I live in two different states. And so he's in Alabama, I'm in California. Um, so the logistics were not easy. So we were passing things back and forth through the mail um, to get it written. And then he had delays on his side. You know, there were legitimate life things that got in the way. I think he had a death in the family or somebody close to him during one of the seasons. Um, he also was playing rugby actively. He plays uh, quad rugby. He was in the Paralympics. 
And so there were seasons when he just wasn't available, you know, because he was all up in the sports. And there were seasons that I wasn't available. There were things going on here with my family that, you know, but all of that aside, all of our schedules and, and locations aside, it still came down to the fact that I had to believe in myself that I could pull this off. And in a lot of ways, I didn't. I would sit down at my desk. I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, this is kind of a normal thing that writers go through. If you read, you know, biographies or whatever, they'll all say like, okay, this was a brilliant idea. And then I started doing it. I'm like, okay, what am I thinking? Right. But, but at some point we have to get over that. And it took me seven years to get over that hump and actually publish it and get it, you know, for sale. And so there were times when I would sit down at my computer and literally my body would just be in pain. And I would have to put like a sign up in front of me, like, um, I don't remember something like you can do this or, you know, it would have like a some sort of a goal. And I would just keep saying over and over to myself, you know, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, not really believing it, but just like, and my body would just be in pain, like moving that forward. So it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a challenge to, um, to put yourself out there is a challenge too, because you you feel naked, like this book's going to be sitting on someone's coffee table that I don't even know. People are going to be reading it and it's just, it's just going to be out there. It feels very vulnerable. And so I was taking it a little more personal um, than maybe what I should have, because I know instinctively as a writer, your, your story has to stand up on its own legs. It's got to go out there and be, you know, do its own thing. But I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's got to, you know, People are, you know, it's not going to be good. People are going to make fun of it. And so I was having it. So I had to talk myself daily towards the end. I'm like, I, so, but this, cause there's also a fighter in me too. I'm also very competitive. I'm also a fighter in other areas. Um, so it was a struggle. It was a struggle. See, I think the fighter in you from what you're talking about is what probably drove you. Whereas others that are in a similar situation where they dealing with the shame, where they're mm -hmm. the defective ones, so to speak, not that you are, that's just the, the definition I'm using. Mm -hmm. Um, they probably don't have a fight in them maybe. And maybe that's why they get complacent into their environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one time you mentioned something to the effect that you're at the bookstore and something about you wanted or hoped one day mm -hmm. that your book would be on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. Um, first off, did it ever make it? So I self-published through that particular book. I self-published through Amazon. I did have a couple of book signings at Barnes and Noble. It was on the shelf um, so for a time at the local Barnes and Noble. And I cried. I was in tears. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, my book is, you know, sitting on the shelf. And somehow that made me feel worthier or accepted, you know, as right. a writer. Um, the book is good. Like not he, Bob has a phenomenal story, but it's, I'm very proud of that work the way that it, because I did, I fought and fought and fought for it. Um, but, but talking about shame, like Brene Brown has tons of stuff. If you've never read anything or listened to Brene Brown on YouTube or podcast, highly recommend it. Um, because she, she talks about, that's her whole study. I mean, that's all she does is study shame. But, um, the fighter in me, like, we can fight it, but we have to not give up. We have to like fight and fight and fight until we, you know, kind of cross over, you know, to the other side. And so I think that, you know, there's that cliche, um, our life doesn't change until the pain of where we are is greater than the pain of changing. So, um, my, the pain of where I was of not being accomplished got so severe that 
I just kept like, okay, I just got to do this. I just got to do it. I just got to do it. And there was, you know, and so, so the fighter, and so yeah, I was a fighter and, and I just got it in my head. Like I am going to make this happen. I am going to publish this book. I'm going to, you know, put all the voices aside saying I can't do it. Um, and I'm just going to make this happen. And so there are certain parts of my life like that one. There's other parts of my life where I'm just a fighter and I'm not going to give up. And then there's other, like we had on talked about last week on the podcast, somebody said something to me last night and I'm like right back to square one. I'm like, I cannot believe they said that to me. And it hurt. It, it really hurt. So I don't know. I mean, we play this, you know, back and forth game a lot. If it's my skill sets, I'm, I'm stronger. If it's me, my personality, my identity, then I'm like, okay now you've cut me deeper and it's harder for me to overcome that because I have to answer, am I, or am I not good enough? What is the truth? See, I, I look at it this way, even if the book sucked and I know some people that have self-published books and I'm not going to mention them, but the book's not very good, mm-hmm. but you wrote a book and you published a book and that's something I haven't done. Mm-hmm. So that's kudos to you because you created something that I won't do. The other thing too, my mentality would be my, uh, instead of I hope my book's on the shelf, my mentality is always my book will be on that shelf. Mm-hmm. Well, there, it did shift to that later. Yeah, okay, that's that's yeah. kind of like what got me over. It's like, oh, I really want to be in here. And then I'm like, no, gosh darn it. It is going to be in here. And that's kind of like at the very end, that's what. Okay. But I had to I had to fight. I had to wrestle with that question. Am I or am I not good enough to do this? I had to, I had to decide yeah. which way I was going to go. And once I decided like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. That's what got me through. So if I would have chosen the other one that I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not capable of writing a book. Publishers don't want it, you know, whatever. I could have chosen that path and it never would have been published. Or at the very end, I'm like, gosh, darn it. This is crazy. Like I'm going to make this happen. Come hell or high water. It's going to be published. And I self published it and I made it happen. Bob is still doing book signings. He's still ordering books. Um, you know, it's still out there. It's still on, on Amazon. Um, see, I find that interesting because, um, one, my book may never get to the shelf, but that's still my mentality is going to get to that shelf. Mm -hmm. And I've done that with radio. You know, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Now I may not get there because of whatever reason, but I don't doubt myself that I'm not good enough to be there Mm -hmm. because I do think I am. Um, but here's the other thing too. There was a, I don't remember where I, heard the expression or saw it or whatever, but it has to do with people that are bilingual. Mm -hmm. So I know a a gal who is uh, Spanish, you know, Mexican and and Spanish is her first language. And so she, when I first met her, you know, her English wasn't as fluent as perhaps others, Mm -hmm. but I was still able to understand her as fine. Now she was aware of the fact that her English wasn't as smooth and mm-hmm. fluent. Mm-hmm. And there'd be a time or two where I might have to be like, what? <laughs> you know, but it was okay. Now I can completely understand because I'm used to it. And, but here's the thing. So someone might look at that as, Hey, the English isn't very good. That's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I look at it as I'm not bilingual. So you got two languages on me. And even though one of them might not be the best, it's your second language. If I spoke another language, I'm sure my pronunciation and stuff like that would be horrible. Mm-hmm. And so that's just to be expected, eh? But you've got two languages. And in fact, now I think she's working on a third. I think she's trying to learn oh, German. Wow. So, you know, so there's someone that even though... Very smart. Yeah. So there's someone that has accomplished something. And so instead of it being a negative, okay, English might not be the best thing or it might be the most fluent. Mm-hmm. 
it's still a second language and even a third language coming. And so that's something that's achieved that I haven't even been able to do. Right. And if I was able to, let's say, speak Spanish, because, you know, I've had some students in the past where I've tried to do a little bit of Spanish and they always mock me and laugh at me because my accent and my <laughs> stuff isn't very good. But that's to be expected. So, again, you wrote a book and whether or not it got to Barnes and Nobles or mm -hmm. not, mm -hmm. the fact that you wrote a book or anybody that wrote a book, um, students in the past that I've had where they come to the radio program and they'd be like, I want to do this, but I don't know if I can. And I always tell them, let's not, worry, let's not worry about where you are now. Let's worry about where you are in the future. Mm -hmm. And so they take a couple classes, they do a couple things and they start to click and they start to get more comfortable and confident. And now they're doing something. Mm -hmm. And now they're doing something that they never thought they could do. Right. Take people that do podcasts. Okay. There's a lot of people that like to do podcasts and some of them aren't very good. You know, maybe we're not good. I don't know, but <laughs> we're going to continue to do it because I just enjoy doing it. So you have to deal with us. But the point is, is that, okay, you're doing something that someone else isn't doing. You know, it's always interesting to hear these critics, you know, film critics, clothes critics, all they're doing is criticizing something that they can't do. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. they're criticizing even sports broadcasters that are analysts that may have never played the sport, you know, it's easy to criticize, but have you ever done it? Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to learn another language? Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to write a book? Have you ever tried to design clothes? Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to do a podcast? Okay, it might not be your passion. It might not be what you want to do, but are you going to be quick to criticize something mm -hmm. that you can't do? Yeah, or you that's don't what do? Brene Brown talks about being in the arena. She said she has no interest in the critics who are not in the arena getting beat up and doing their passion, you know, whatever their craft is. If you're not, um, if you're not out there exposing yourself and being vulnerable, then you're right. You, th that voice isn't, isn't valid. So there's a lot of, um, but we take that, right? And so when people say things to us, it's like, oh my gosh, that really hurts. But then, you know, are they putting themselves out there like that? No. Because it's, it is painful because when we, when you create something, um, and that's why the dance, I think that I go back and forth with the shame thing, because, um, so like there's another side of me that is, that is very competitive. And so when I was, um, w uh, working on my bachelor degree in English at CSUN, I was in creative writing and we had this workshop class, um, and we would have, the assignment was to write a short story. And then every week we would, um, workshop or round table someone's, you know, short story. So I would, um, write the story. I would make 20 copies, bring it to class, hand it out to the 20 students in the class. We would all go home the next week we would come back and they would bring the, um, story back of whoever's, you know, had that, you know, bring back the story then they would critique it out loud. And so the writer had to sit in the circle and be completely silent. They're not allowed to defend it like, oh, I wrote this character because of this, or I, the reason why I did it that way. Couldn't defend yourself at all. So we would sit, so I would sit and listen to the 20 people critique my story out loud. And then at the end of class, they would hand me their 20 edits or their 20 critiques and I would take them home and then I would go through and read them. And so if there was a comment about like the character wasn't consistent or the narrative voice wasn't um, flowing or there was a tangential plot line or there was the timing and the pacing was off or whatever it was, I would take different colored highlighters and highlight, you know, pink for character, blue for scene, scene, taste, you know, pacing and timing and all that. And then I would take those 20 stories and literally lay them on the floor in front of me and then stand above them, you know, to like at the macro view. And then I would look and so if there was 10 yellows, 
or 20 blues, then I would say, okay, that needs to be fixed in the story. That's a problem. If there was one pink, okay, well, that person just didn't get it. And so I would kind of objectively, and then I would re, um, I would edit the story based on, on those objective, you know, observations of the story. I didn't take that personal for some reason that thrilled me beyond belief. I loved that class. I loved the, the, um, um, the competition of like putting out a story and seeing how it was going to be received for some reason that that just thrilled me to no end. There was a one guy, remember when it was his turn, he would come to class in a hoodie and he would bring the hoodie when it was time to talk about his story, he would bring it down and tie the um, string as cl- so you could barely see his eyes and his mouth. He would put on a coat and a scarf and, and like gl- he would completely cover up and then like curl down and just sit there like in a fetal position sitting up until we were done talking about his story. Like he hated it. So, and I thought that was fascinating to watch. And then he, and then at the end he would like unzip and, un, and you know, come back out and go take a smoke or whatever. So, so in that respect, you know, I was able to handle, it was like a thrill, like a challenge. Right. But then when I published the book, it's like my heart and soul is in that book and it's going to go out there without me. And I don't know what people are going to think. For some reason, I took that more personal. See, I, I would think you would be the one with the Unabomber look know, in right? the classroom. <laughs> As you're telling the story, I'm thinking how, how you're shrinking, shrinking. You're like, no, give it to me, give it to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, which I find kind of fascinating. It's weird. Yeah, I don't get it. There's like, so I bounce back and forth. I do have one question though. Yeah. What color was Tangenial? What color was Tangenial? I Only have no a creative idea. writer. <laughs> Creative writing major would use tangential. Tangential plot lines. Tangential. Word of the day is tangential. No, but that's interesting because, again, you're the problem. When we talk about shame, we're talking about shame. And the definition of shame versus guilt is? Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. So we're talking about shame. So I am the problem. I'm the defective one. I'm the wrong. Mm-hmm. So for you having shame problems mm-hmm. or uh, an issue, not a problem, but issues that you're trying to overcome, um, it's interesting that you're able to kind of separate mm-hmm. the fact that, okay, work. Cause okay. When you say me, shrink me, yes. When you say <laughs> that it's okay for people to criticize you in the classroom yeah, where you can see them, they can see you mm-hmm. and you thrive on that. And so you get your tangential colors and you put them all together and then mm-hmm. you micro, uh, or macro, mm-hmm. um, view them. And then you say, okay, this is a problem. I'll fix this. No, I don't need to. But then when the book gets out there to, nobody you know mm-hmm. and you'll never have any contact with them mm. why would that bother you because mm. you have no idea that that what they're going to think they might be good it might be bad but mm. who cares you know whereas the people that are in front of you yeah i have an answer for that you i've no, i haven't thought about that before that's an excellent question here's the answer i think because in the classroom safety was created and there were rules, like what people could say and what they couldn't say. They were not allowed to say, I like this, I hate this. They had to give um, evidence of, okay, the character is a 10-year-old, and they're, say, they're using words that a 10-year-old wouldn't know. So that's a conflict in that character's personality. That's um, and so Or like a Tangino plotline, like, okay, your, your plotline is, is A, but then now you're bringing up B, C, and D, and so now I don't know what the story is about. So you could give those types of critiques, but not like, oh, I hate this, or the writer obviously didn't know what they were doing. They couldn't say those types of things. It was all about the work and only about the work. And so in that safe environment, it was like, yeah, let's go. Let's just do it. And let me, and I can do this. I can figure this out. You take away that safety 
you take away the way that, you know, now people don't have rules that they're abiding by. They're just going to judge you based on their own life. And that is scary because you don't know what they're going to do with your work. But the point is they bought the book. Um, they did. They did. And, and we have 50, um, one or 52 ish, five star, five, 52, five star reviews. Yeah. And so see, that would be on Amazon. Okay. How many negative or um, one star, two stars, zero, three stars, zero, four, zero, all five, all five. So 50, there you go. So, 50, and, and yeah. again, most of the time people that are going to respond well, usually they're going to be negative because mm -hmm. usually the squeaky wheel gets the grease right. and the complainers are the ones that are going to be the ones. Most of the time you're going to get a, not hate mail, but you know, Hey, your show sucks versus I really like mm -hmm. your show. You know, no, you I more, do. I will say you know. on Goodreads. Sorry. I, I just, I have to be uh, like, be clear. I will say on Goodreads, I did get one three-star review, but still you're getting of the people. Cause a majority of the people won't respond. They mm -hmm. just won't care. They don't take the time. Right. You know, Hey, you want to fill out a survey? No, I don't want to fill out a survey. Mm -hmm. But I always say that at the end of a conversation, hey, would you mind feeling, oh, sure, of course, and then I hang up. Right. Nobody wants to do a survey. <laughs> but the people that do are yeah. taking the time to review you, yeah. and they're giving you a positive review. That's got to be a little simple, mm -hmm. um, non-scientific probably, but a simple uh, model, mm -hmm. so to speak, about how successful, how well-received the book is doing, mm -hmm. because you're not getting any real negative reviews and people I've seen people slam products, you know, and, right. and that's what happens. You get something, a product and it's horrible. You want, you need to vent and you need to slam something. So right. you're going to Yelp, you're going to reviews. That's your revenge is by slamming them because you're going to take it out of them because that's your only course. Your recourse mm -hmm. is to give them a negative rating and nobody's really doing that. So that must mean that the book is being well received by people that you're never going to hear from. Mm -hmm. And so why even care? And well, and even the lady that gave the three star review, she said, <laughs> "Too expensive." She said, "No, the review said the writing is not that great, but she couldn't put it down." And I'm like, "Okay, how does that yeah, work? That's, that's, how, uh, if you can't put it down and you're fascinated by the story, but the writing isn't that great, like if if well, that gets us back <laughs> to Tiger King." <laughs> It's a horrible show, but you can't stop watching. It's a right? train wreck that you cannot look away so from. So maybe that's it. Maybe a book was a train wreck in her mind, right, but right. she couldn't stop putting it down. Maybe. You know? No, but but the but see that's where it's kind of fascinating that you're able to separate kind of a professional mm -hmm. critique and criticism, and there's no shame mm -hmm. versus a personal kind of attack, so mm -hmm. to speak, and there's shame. Mm -hmm. And and you but you're able to separate it. And I don't think a lot of people really can't can't do that. Mm -hmm. I don't think people have a hard time separating that because they take their shame into wherever it is they're going. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and we've even said that. I say that all the time, wherever you go, there you are. Like we, we, it's, we're the same person in every circumstance. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I would have to, I haven't thought about that class in a while. I'd have to go back and think about it some more to see if there were some signs in me that probably, um, you know, I was at that time I had not written the book. And so I, there was probably a part in me that says, oh yeah, yeah, this is fine, but I could probably never write a book or something. You know, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that. But I think we do, I do, you know, compartmentalize. There are certain things where I'm just, you know, on fire and I am not backing down. And, and then there are other things that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. So like when I first started blogging, I haven't blogged in a while, but I do have two um, blogs that I was writing on the first time that I made a blog post and I was ready to hit the, the submit button, I was terrified 
And as soon as I did, I was like, I just felt so naked. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like it's out there. Like what are people going to think? It was awful. Now I can sit here in front of a microphone and a camera and talk and I'm, and we published it and I don't bat an eye. Mm. So it's taken me a long time on that journey to get to this point, but that's what holds a lot of people back is like, oh, I could never, people say that to me all the time. I could never be a writer because I just have to perfect it and it's just never right. And I'm just never comfortable with it. And I said, well, neither am I, but you, that's, I mean, that's just part of the deal. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to get comfortable being vulnerable, transparent, like, there's just no other way around it. The The anecdote, Brene Brown will say all the time, the anecdote to shame is vulnerability and being real. That's how you, and a lot of it, it's, that transition is so painful sometimes. So I think a lot of people live in fear and not necessarily fear of the boogeyman or the Baba Yaga or the monster <laughs> under the bed or whatever, right? I'm trying to use some- uh, Is that a real ten- thing, the Baba Yaga? Yeah, it's Russian for boogeyman. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to use some tangential okay, good. plot lines here <laughs> to make it relevant. No, but people are afraid, okay? They live in fear. And again, not afraid of the boogeyman or the monster under the bed, stuff like that, but they're afraid of failure. For example, hey, you want to do uh, karaoke? Not karaoke, karaoke. No, why? Uh, I'm not very good. They're afraid to get up there and be bad at singing. Yes. But that's the whole point of it. Right. The whole point is to do something fun. You're not supposed to be, nobody wants to hear a good singer because first of all, everybody's probably drinking, so you probably sound right. better than you are right. anyways. But that's the whole point, just getting up there and having fun. Or fear of the microphone. Mm-hmm. You know, people will get up and talk, and they could be talkers, but you stick a microphone in front of them, and they clam up mm-hmm. because they're afraid that their mistake is going to mm-hmm. be amplified. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so that's the thing that people don't understand is that you can't live in that fear of failure because what happens is you will fail. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the, the athlete's perspective of do you want the, the ball at the buzzer? Okay, you can shoot, you can either make it, or you cannot make it. You can be the hero or the goat. Right. Well, champions want to be that goat. And I'm talking about the greatest of all time. I'm talking about the scapegoat. You missed the shot, therefore you're the reason why we lost. Right. They want that because they know, first off, they have the confidence that they're going to put the ball in mm-hmm. or they're going to make the big hit or make the big play. And so they have the confidence, knowing that they're probably going to fail too, there's a good chance of failure. Mm-hmm. Because in baseball, you know, if you fail seven out of 10 times batting, you're probably an all-star, if not a Hall of Famer. Right. Um, You know, Barry Bonds, who has the most home runs ever, has more, many, many, many more strikeouts, Mm -hmm. which is the ultimate failure when you bat, you know, than he does home runs. Well, we were talking about resilience the other day, right? Yeah, yeah, a couple weeks ago. And part of resilience is being able to integrate failure and normalize failure and look at opportunity as a challenge. And that's exactly what you're saying is like, if you're having that many strikeouts, but you have to go through those strikeouts in order to get the home runs. Yeah. I think you learn more from failure than you do success. Absolutely. Because if you're just succeeding, then you become complacent, you become whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you're failing, you're always looking to improve. Okay. Mm -hmm. What did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. How am I going to get better? So, okay. Karaoke use that stupid analogy. If I'm going to get up and sing, I'm going to pick a song that I think is going to, that I can do. Mm-hmm. I can't sing, so I know it's going to suck. <laughs> and it's going to be horrible. It's going to be the worst thing ever for your ears. <laughs> but I'm going to pick a song that maybe the audience can sing along with or mm-hmm. incorporate something. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to pick a song that I really know so well that maybe then I can change the lyrics on mm-hmm. as I sing. You know, throw my own lyrics because we all make up our own lyrics anyways to songs that we don't know what the lyrics are. You know, something creative and fun. And then if it was a good reception to it, I'd be like, okay, 
maybe I do it again in another place another time. Or maybe I'll do another song and try mm-hmm. something else out. Um, if you're doing, I mean, radio is the biggest place where you try and fail things. You know, you mm-hmm. try to do things and they fail or they're successful. But without failure, you can't learn to appreciate success. And, and that's why I don't understand why people would be afraid to try something. Because that, that, that brings us right back. I was just going to interrupt you because it brings us right back to shame. Because if we don't have, if we, if we think that our failure is us, right? So people, so I carried shame for, for many, many years. And in the height of it, it's that my story isn't failing or my karaoke isn't failing. I'm failing, right? If I don't make this product good enough to sell, then it's not about the product. It's about, that's what shame tells you it lies to you it tricks you so a lot of people thinking like oh my gosh I could never speak in public I could never do a podcast or be on you know whatever um it's because they're in their mind if they fail that means they are a failure and so we have to get to the point in our psyche that we're normalizing um our behavior excuse me as um um that failure is normal and we have to be able to integrate that to say, like, okay, well, I'm not, um, there's nothing wrong with me. I just have to practice and get it right. And so that's the mindset, the shift that has to take place if we're going to get out of that shame cycle. And a lot of people just can't get out. They don't have a success or they don't have someone investing in them or someone seeing them or someone, you know, or, or listening to a, um, I get a lot of my inspiration from books or from you know, sermons or from speakers or whatever. And I, I take that in. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I I believe that I can do it. Some other person I've, I've been with people and they, they don't get that sense at all. They're like, oh yeah, good for them. But I could never do that. They don't, because again, it's shame. It's like, they don't believe that they can, that that's, that the message is for them. So I get my inspiration from music. Life's a journey, not a destination. (laughs) So enjoy the ride. Uh, take, take your passion, it. make it happen. Only the bravest try where eagles and angels dare to fly, <laughs> you know, things like that, that motivate me. But, um, but see, that's, that's well, I guess it's just, I just don't have the chemistry or the makeup mm-hmm. to understand that because mm-hmm. it's not you failing. Sure. It's technically you failing, but it's that thing that failed. So then try something different, mm-hmm. try something new. Um, you but know, I, I try- think if, if there's, I think, I think it's just those seeds that are Given to us when we're young okay. and it's put so in So when did shame begin for you? I don't know if, if we can talk about that because I know there's all kinds of things that go into it. So I don't know if it can fit into the time constraints mm-hmm. of what we have and, and stuff. But like, so when, because the, there could be incidences that make us shameful. Okay, we did something and therefore I'm ashamed of what I did. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's guilt, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but when did shame start for you? Is it like a lifelong thing? Yeah, at a a very, like, I would say probably one, two, three, four years old. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, and the reason why I know that, and I could go back and pinpoint um, several things in my timeline that contributed to that. Um, One of, uh, so the reason why I know that is because when I was getting my master's degree in organizational leadership, um, I got it from the Townsend Institute at, through Concordia University. And John Townsend, Henry Cloud, they wrote the book's boundaries. Um, and so John Townsend developed this this organizational leadership program. He also has a counseling program. But his whole premise of those programs was to build your character because you can't, if you can't be led, you can't lead. And if you don't have a strong character, then you can't lead a team 
and develop their character and bring them along. So they were huge, really big about, um, kind of, it was kind of therapy. It was, um, but it was really about building your character and making you strong, you know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Right. And so we had to do this exercise. And one of the exercises, um, was that we had to go back. It wasn't exactly go back and pinpoint your shame points, but it was something along those lines because the whole, um, premise of therapy and healing is that you have to go back to that trauma point and, um, get back into that feel, go back into that pain and feel it and then have someone with you that can give you a different reaction. So I was never abused, but say for example, um, if I was abused, then, then that means that I would have to go back to that point of abuse and then if you're a safe person, I would, I would express to you, like, that wasn't fair. Why are you hitting me? Why are you doing that? And instead of the voice that comes into my head from that original perpetrator, you're bad. Now your job would be to like, you're good and you don't deserve that. And, um, you didn't mean, you know, whatever it was, you would give me the opposite message. And what that does is the neuroscience says that what that does is, um, is rewire your brain and it rewires your pathway. And so, um, it's called a mismatching experience. And so we did a lot of those types of exercises in class where we would give each other mismatching experiences. And then, um, so if we had a shame, any type of, you know, point where that came from, we would go back and, and role play it. And then you would sit in as, you know, the father, the brother, the, you know, whatever, and give an opposite message. And so then I would feel that message that I should have gotten originally of love and respect. Now I can, it's kind of like, I don't know, it does something to your brain, the neuroscience we studied um, about that. Um, and it does, it rewires it so that when something happens again, now my brain doesn't automatically go back to that point. It goes a different direction and I'm able to say, okay, this is wrong. I'm going to go walk away from you, right? We can, once we rewire the brain, then, then we change our behavior because of it. But if we don't rewire the brain, then we get stuck in that cycle. So we did this whole like project to figure out like where our trauma points were. And, um, I had several trauma points when, um, I was growing up and when I was little that put this idea into my head that, um, that I, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to be pretty, cause we, cause we didn't say like, oh, we're going to talk about this. So now I'm preparing right in front of you. Um, that's annoying. So I apologize. So let me, let me give you, um, this example. So I've said, before that my parents are, are lovely people. I have no, um, issues with them, but they also came from shame backgrounds. My dad has a history in his family that was, there was a lot of things that happened. Uh, my mom came from a history that a lot of, um, negative things were said. And so that legacy just kind of comes down. Right. So, um, when I was learning how to eat, my mom would hold my hands pin my hands down with her hand, which wasn't mean to me, but would hold my hands down and feed me so that I wouldn't make a mess because she didn't want to mess everywhere. So that in, in addition to the 12 or 20 other things that I could go through and list, um, one of the things that I got from that was that I'm not allowed to make a mess. 
So you would cry over spilt milk. Literally. So yeah. So I, so that kind of, because children, we don't interpret. Now she wasn't mean. She wasn't, she just didn't want to mess all over the floor. I get it. And she was horrified when I gave my kids spaghetti and there was spaghetti all over the windows and the walls and the floor. And she's like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? And I'm like, they're learning how to eat. And they, you know, my son would literally be covered in sauce. Right. It was the greatest thing ever, but she didn't want that. She didn't want to mess. And she would hold my hands down and then feed me. So what that, what I interpreted that was don't reach out and get what you need. Like food is sustenance and I need to take care of myself, right? I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to take care of this for you. I don't want you to make a mess. I'm embarrassed if you make a mess. So what is that? So that message at two, one, two, three years old, I can't make a mess. I'm not allowed to make a mess. So sit here and wait until I'm told what to do and don't reach out for what you need. Don't reach out for what's going to, you know, sustain you now does she mean to give me those no she's not a bad person I love my mom she didn't know she she learned you know from her mom or whatever we don't we don't understand but as a kid that's the way I interpreted it now I didn't know that until I was going through my master's degree and we had and I started putting like I literally had all of the I led pages of stuff and I'm like oh my gosh and then I saw this pattern and now I can say the pattern that I took, all these things, different things. There was things when I was in the hospital and all kinds of things that just ha- like happened. But all of that transpired into, I don't have a voice. I'm not good enough to um, think of, take care of this on my own. I have to wait and be told what to do so that I don't make a mess. So now how do you think, how painful do you think it was later when I started writing a book? <laughs> <laughs> and I've got this message in my head. Don't try out. You're not going to make it. Don't, you know, all these different messages that, that were given to me, not because I, it, you know, I was a bad person or couldn't, it was, it was the shame cycle that had been given down from generation. It wasn't her fault, but she had been told those things. She didn't believe in herself. And so that transpired onto me. I'm sure her mom didn't believe in herself. It got passed down to her. It's like this legacy of messages and now we get to an adult and I'm like I didn't know how to say no I didn't know how to stand up for myself I didn't have a voice so yeah it was I was a mess so it's the nurtured influence in you Mm -hmm. that caused this right Um, and then the nature part of me is the fighter right right and And so so it's a constantly it's a battle kind of reminds me of a story I don't know if it is pertains but I like the story so it's Thanksgiving there's grandma mom and daughter daughter is a young daughter maybe four five six doesn't matter she's in the kitchen and she's watching her mother prepare the turkey Mm -hmm. so after preparing the turkey the mom slices the turkey in half (laughs) sticks both halves in the oven Mm -hmm. cooks the oven the, the, Mm -hmm. the turkey the daughter asks the mom hey mom why do you cut the turkey in half before you put it in the oven. Mm-hmm. And the mom says, well, you have to go ask your grandmother. Mm-hmm. So the daughter goes ask grandma, grandma, why does mom cut the turkey in half before she puts it in the oven? Grandma says, I don't know why your mother does it, but we had to do it because the oven wasn't big enough to fit a full turkey. Yeah. So she cut in half and cook <laughs> half a turkey at a time because the oven was only big enough to cook half a turkey. So the mom learns mm-hmm. that in order to cook a Thanksgiving turkey, you have to cut it in half, even right. though nowadays the you oven's big to. enough yeah, yeah. to stick it in. And so I always kind of find that story humorous because that's yes. what we do. Yeah. We don't look and see, I think I've become 
a little different from the standpoint that, yeah, I might have growing up been one to just kind of follow along because, you know, as a kid, that's what you're taught to do. Obey, respect authority. You don't know any better. And they're right. your parents. So like, why wouldn't you believe them? But I went to, I got to the point where I'm able to question things. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were having an off camera conversation about wearing masks and stuff. And mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, it's logic reason. Plus it's questioning things. And I'm not, uh, you know, this rebellious person. I don't think, yes, yes. but, uh, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, I would look at that and be like, Hey, why am I cutting this Turkey in two when it fits in the oven? Yeah. Why am I doing something when I don't have to, or why am I not doing something mm-hmm. when this is better? And I think that's why, uh, throughout my career in radio and things like that, I might have been, you know, at odds with management and people in authority because the way I see things and the way they do things is, is illogical. Mm-hmm doesn't make sense why would i do that when this is so much easier right why would i want to do it that way when that way makes no sense whatsoever but yet that boss guy or lady mm-hmm. doesn't have the wherewithal to see that their thinking is flawed mm-hmm. and i'm not opinionating i'm being real that right. your opinion and the way you want to do things is flawed right. why would i want to do that you know why do i want to do four five six steps when i can do something in two mm-hmm you know, just because you don't have the ability to see it that way, why should I do that? Mm-hmm. And so that's, and so that's kind of, for me, it's like, I have the ability to look at something. And so if I'm seeing a turkey, but, uh, cut in half mm-hmm. going in the oven, I would question that. Why are we doing that? If there's someone that says to me, you know, kind of like your, your, your macro view, okay, something isn't working. Let's macro view it. Like mm-hmm. the, uh, tangential, <laughs> Inking, <laughs> highlighting. I should have said that word a long time ago. That's going to be a, a mainstay moving forward. And so it's I'm going like, to ask you a definition pretty soon. I don't even know what it means. I just I like know. the word tangential. Kind of reminds me of Tangiers, which was the hotel and the casino. Yeah, uh, one of those casino movies of uh, Robert De Niro. Yeah. Anyway, so um, so I think I have the ability to kind of process things maybe a little different. So someone says, this isn't working, this isn't very good, you're no good. Okay, well, what's the value of their feedback? Is mm-hmm. it worthy feedback or is it just somebody who is jealous of what I'm doing, mm-hmm. wishes they were doing something, you know, making a comment about a podcast, whether it's good or bad, is it really good or is it really bad? You know, you kind of weigh some of these things. Um, and so that's why sometimes for me, I've gotten to the point where we walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Okay. We might not be able to do that to fully understand them Mm -hmm. again, not really fully understanding the shame aspect of it, but here's what I, um, someday I'll give you the laundry list. Well, here's what I learned. It doesn't matter who you're with because it sounds like a lot of outside influence Mm -hmm. from you. Yes becomes the 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 root problem or totally, solution yeah, okay. yeah so for us then and i'm gonna ask Cause i'm you, very curious very inquisitive i'm a fighter but you're right that outside influence put upon me okay so for us then the takeaway for me from this is that which i try to do anyways is that it doesn't matter if we understand or don't understand because i still don't kind of understand that mm-hmm. it's not in my chemistry but what i can understand is that i need to be a positive influence like mm-hmm. a real one not this phony like oh everything you do is great everybody wins a trophy right okay you you went no, you, I hate you, that. you you went <laughs> oh and 10 you don't get a trophy i'm sorry your team sucked but what did you do we did these individual successes. You know, mm-hmm. you had a couple hits, you never played before and mm-hmm. you had fun and you know, okay, we're taking the successes right. and we're creating a positive experience and a positive influence in, in realistic expectations. But that's the thing. It's like, can you write a book? Well, I don't know. Can you, let's see what you got. Mm-hmm. Can you do a podcast? I don't know. Let's see what you got. Let's mm-hmm. try it. Let's, let's try let's it, go yeah. after it because it's better to have failed mm-hmm. than to not have tried mm-hmm. because you're always going to have the, what if I did, then what would have happened right. versus the, okay, I tried and didn't make it. Or maybe 
you tried it and it worked. You don't know. It's always like the, it's kind of like the, oh, I don't want the girl to know I like her because, <laughs> well, how is she going to know if he likes you back if she doesn't know you like her? Right. And I if mean, she does like you back, then well, it's then bonus. And if she yeah. doesn't, then oh well. Yeah. But we don't want to put that out there because we're afraid, afraid of rejection. Afraid of rejection. Yep. But yet we don't know. Yep. You know, we don't know if it's going to happen. And, 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 and that that's was, where we have to normalize and integrate failure and challenge and discomfort. And maybe the fact that you liked her, but she didn't like you back. Mm-hmm. But now this other girl likes you and you right? discover that yeah. it's like, okay, that failure led to this. Exactly. And now you've got, you know, utopia. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, you just never know. <laughs> failure is going to lead to something. If we don't wallow in the mire of failure and yeah. be like, oh, I failed. I failed. Woe was me. Woe was me. Well, if we keep the failure on the table and not personal. Yes. Then you can learn from then that. Then we can learn from it and then we can move forward from it. And that's where resilience comes in is that we're not. We personally are not a failure. It means that we were brave enough to try something and put it out there. It didn't work. So then let's tweak it and let's try it again. See, we all need to be like Wile E. Coyote. We'll never get that roadrunner, but we're always going to try. We're always going to try. Now, you may get the roadrunner someday, but he's always going back to the drawing board and he's always trying. Okay, mm-hmm. this failed. What's next? This mm-hmm. failed. What's... We all know he's never going to get the roadrunner. You just dated your audience, by the way. Yes, I know, but that's okay. <laughs> They're like, but in the Coyote? real world, but in the real world... There's an opportunity going back to the drawing board. Yeah. You know, engineers. I don't really understand the mind of an engineer because they're so stoic and they're mm-hmm. so, you know, very, you know, analytical and they're very like A, B, C, D. I'm like, where's the, how come G can't go before B? You know, it has to be A, B. But they're not fearful of failure because they just go, they, t- they take and learn from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got JPL, NASA, you've got, you know, this, this, this massive, let's go to space. Mm-hmm. Okay, we failed, but that's not going to deter us. And look what we've accomplished. They're not right. afraid of failure. They go back to the drawing board. They take what they, they learned that was the success mm-hmm. and the failure, and they combine it to get something better. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what we got to do. So no matter who we are or who we're around or who we're with, we just need to take and be that positive influence with realism. Mm-hmm. You can do this. Try it. Mm-hmm. Your English might not be the best, but hey, you're bilingual. I'm not. Right. Hey, you wrote a book. I've never written a book. So maybe you have five, you know, maybe you have 52 one stars, but you have a book on Amazon. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, go back and try something different. Um, you know, be that positive influence because like you said with that, you know, instead of the negative, you know, with the, with the, the rethinking, the neuroscience thing that you were talking about, that mumbo jumbo, <laughs> um, let's be that positive influence that starts to rewire the brain in people yeah. with real, ex- with real expectations. Yeah. And so I'd ask you this, okay, mm-hmm. from your perspective, mm-hmm. again, shame is you're the defect, you're the problem, you're the, the reason why something went wrong versus guilt. There was, you know, you're guilty of something. So what would you give as far as advice to people that are in similar situation with you to help them overcome their shame and to help them not take everything and personalize it Mm -hmm. and be like, Hey, it's just, you tried something or you should try something and not let yourself get in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that you have to find safe people because they're, probably are people in your circle that are enforcing those negative messages that you have and that negative self-talk. And so we believe that we deserve, you know, certain treatment. We believe that we don't um, deserve anything better in life. And, and that's not true. But what happens is, is that we surround ourselves with people who reinforce what we think about ourselves. And then it's kind of like a success in a weird way. 
because it's like, oh, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy like we talked about before. It's like, you know, I'm not good enough to do this. And then there's people around me saying, you're not good enough to do this. Like, see, I told you, like I was right. And then we feel good about being right about being wrong. So we need to get around safe people. We need to be brave enough to hear the other side you know, of the story. Um, we need to be brave enough to, um, get outside information that gives us the opposite information that we are worthy, that we are loved, that we are, um, valuable and, and we have a voice and we have, you know, something to offer to the world. We have to force ourselves to get into a group or get into a friendship or something, a class that will give us those opposite messages. And then it takes a long time. Because there was a couple that invested in me and would tell me all the time that, you know, I was smart and that they loved me and all of their, it would just kaping, it would like come and just kaping right off my chest, right? It never absorbed and never sunk in. So it's not something that is happens overnight, but it, it is a process. But the more, you know, maybe you need a counselor, or, but the more safe people that you get around that will give you the grace and the forgiveness and to allow you to, um, this one couple um, that I'm thinking of, Doug and Kathy, they loved me through my faults. And, and I knew that they knew what my faults were. And, and we all laughed about them and they didn't judge me. They didn't condemn me. They didn't use it against me. Like um, they just loved me anyway. And that kind of softened my soul and kind of let me start this kind of journey. Um, and then I started seeking slowly, you know, better information and better truths and, and safer friends. Um, and then it just creates a momentum and then you just keep going. But that's probably the first key is that you have to surround yourself, find a safe person. If you don't have any in your community, um, you can reach out to us. You could, you know, you need a safe person that will give you that opposite message, love you just the way that you are um, and help you, you know, get over that cycle and and Brene Brown honestly she's got a ton of really great stuff to watch you know on YouTube you can check her stuff out see Billy Joel just the way you are <laughs> that's right hey uh I just want you to know that you are worthy to ride my coattails <laughs> of the great son eat them to the top just so you know that you are worthy of riding my coattails. I'm worthy of being here yes. I'm worthy of being your co-host thank hey, um, you so for people that might be interested in Brene Brown how do you spell that Brene b-r-e-n-e Okay, so there. Brown. So if people want to. Brown. So she's all over yeah. YouTube. She has. She just started a podcast, uh, which is now she's passed even Joe. Yeah. <laughs> she passed Joe Rogan. So she's like the wow. number. She's in the top three and she just started it. Top three. Us, her, and yes, Joe Rogan. Yes, and Joe Rogan, right? I love Joe Rogan. Um, she, yeah, listen to her podcast and she's got several books I've, I've read. They're, they're phenomenal. It explains the it explains shame, what it is, how it manifests, what it looks like, how we fight it. You know, I think, I think. And we last? all have it by the way. It's just on a different plane, different on the line of continuum. Some of us are further ahead than others, but we all, um, <laughs> I think I can't remember. was the last podcast or this one where you said it took you up until, uh, cause you just recently celebrated your birthday. We won't say mm -hmm. the age, mm -hmm. but it took you up until just now, so to speak mm -hmm. to kind of deal with the shame. Mm -hmm. So are you over it or do you still have it? No, I still have it. And I think that we all have it in some form of another until we get to the other side. And I don't mind um, telling you I'm 53. So mm. <laughs> I'm mm. not, I'm not ashamed of my age. So it took, yeah, it took me clear up until, you know, 53 to be, to be comfortable. Um, not just, 
on, you know, my birthday, but um, this has been a process right. in the last year or two um, where <laughs> I have finally felt comfortable in my skin, finally felt like I have something to contribute, you know, to society. I'm thinking about a third um, book eventually. Mm, and so I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I do want to write another book. So some of my posts on, on social media are geared towards subject matter that might be in a book um, as on Instagram. But the, you know, it's a long process, but I will never be over it, I don't think, until... I mean, obviously, because I told you about that comment that right, that person right, made to right. me and it just took me right back. Right. And I'm like, okay, I have more work to do. And you kind of had to talk me off the cliff. So um, I, I think it'll always be there. It'll It's getting better. I am way, way further ahead than what I was before. I just think we need to stop as we wrap up here because I know we're running out of time. But I just think we need to stop and realize we talked about this I probably in the first episode. Probably. Um, the little successes. Mm -hmm. The little successes that we get. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going through this lockdown, but what are the little successes that we can achieve from this? Maybe mm -hmm. we're reconnecting with people, that uh, family members. Maybe, you know, you did a podcast and maybe that helps reconnect with people. Maybe you're writing a book so that helps somebody else. Or maybe mm -hmm. you just were able to get up out of bed this morning and fix breakfast. Or maybe mm -hmm. you were able to just do whatever the little success successes are mm -hmm. that help us to build upon the bigger successes, bigger successes, right. because yeah. that's what it's going to take. The little successes like the pyramid equal the big successes. Mm -hmm. And if you're more sports minded, you know, one of the things that you could probably look at is John Wooden's pyramid of success. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be something that um, might be beneficial and the books that he's written. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's people out there that can do that, but it all stems from the fact that we have to make sure that a, we're a positive influence, realistically, mm -hmm. a positive influence, because sometimes we don't deserve a trophy and we need to be told that, but we can still be done in a way that's not going to trigger shame. Mm -hmm. Two, we need to make sure that, you know, we're not too hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And three, you know, find the little successes and things that we can build upon. Okay. Ultimately what I did failed, maybe singing karaoke. I was really bad, but what was good about it? Well, okay. I had, I got the courage to go up there. I got the courage to do something I probably never would have done before. Mm -hmm. So find your little successes and build on it. And then, Surround yourself with people that are going to be real and be true and be supportive. You know, surround yourself with a cast of people that you can really rely on and um, hope for the best. Throw up a Hail Mary. No. One of these days, I'm going to be brave enough to do Tuesday karaoke. Yes, you should. On, on my on your Instagram? story on my Instagram story. I'm going to be one of these days. Speaking of Instagram <laughs> at two steps ahead podcast. You can find us there at Edom rocks. E I D E M R O C K S. And I am Tara Hoke Shiro, T-A-R-A-H-O-K-E-S-C-H-I-R-O. We're on all the major platforms, uh, SoundCloud. We're linked in my bio and at Two Steps Ahead podcast uh, Instagram bio. You can listen there. Uh, Spotify, Pandora. You can Google us. Uh, just type in TWO, Two Steps Ahead podcast on Google and we pop up. Hey, Surrey. Hey, Google. Hey, Alexa. We're there. We're there also. TWO, Two Steps Ahead podcast. And then on IGTV and YouTube, you can search us there. Uh, Two Steps Ahead podcast, highlighting the stuff we've stepped in so you don't have to. Let yourself be great. Take your passion. Make it happen. Be tangential. <laughs> No, don't be tangential. Don't be tangential. <laughs> Not good. Uh, thanks for listening and do tell a friend. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.